The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our 8.15 and 11 a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you could take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible or a pew Bible, you can turn to page 857 this morning. For Advent, we have been looking at this Advent season doing a series on the carols of Christmas from the Gospel of Luke. One of the things that unites the birth narrative together in the Gospel of Luke in those first few chapters is lots of singing. Everyone is singing. We've seen Mary, we've looked at her song, we've looked at Zachariah's song, we've looked at the angel's song, and this morning we come to Simeon's song. We see all of these people are singing about the wonders of Christmas and the birth of Jesus, and we see it again in Simeon's song. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, To do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. At this point in the Christmas story, Jesus has been born to Mary and Joseph, and they are bringing him to the temple for purification according to the law of Moses to present him to God and to offer sacrifices. And when they walk in, this older man by the name of Simeon walks up to them. Think about this. We read this and don't think about it, but think about how strange this would be. They are there in the temple. This older man walks up, takes their child from him, uh, from them, and starts singing to Jesus. That seems really random and really strange, but Mary and Joseph didn't really see it that way. Look at verse 33. They marveled at what they heard. They had heard all sorts of things about Jesus from these songs, who Jesus was and what he would do and who he would be. But this song actually fills in some gaps for us 
and shed some light on Jesus and who he is in ways that the other songs haven't. So let's look at this. Three things this morning, the story, the song, and the sword. The story, the song, and the sword. Look at number one. Let's look at Simeon's story. Look at verse 25. We don't know much about Simeon's story, but we see very clearly that he was a man of character. Righteous and devout, it says. And then look at what it says. This is where I want to focus. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? We don't use the word consolation a lot. Maybe you're thinking consolation prize. You didn't get first place in the tournament, and so here's your consolation prize. Good job. That's not what it means. Think about consolation. Console. It actually means to comfort. And the background is... From Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people. 700 years earlier, Isaiah foretold the day when God himself would come into the world through the Messiah, and he would comfort his exiles and his oppressed people. And that comfort, again, would manifest itself in the Christ, in a king, in a person who would bring a great rescue and redemption to the world. And so Simeon is waiting for the long-awaited Christ who would come and comfort his people and bring redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so Simeon knows his Bible, and he's trusting his Bible and the promises of the Old Testament, and he is waiting. And we don't know how long he's waiting But we know, it seems like he's been waiting a long time, years, faithfully waiting in expectation for Christmas, for the Messiah to come and comfort the world. Well, the same is true for us. We are to live as Christians with a posture of waiting and longing and expectation. We are waiting for the King not for the first advent, like Simeon was waiting, but for the second arrival or second advent, the second coming of Jesus. That's to be our posture as Christians. And here's the problem with that. We rarely think about Jesus coming again, don't we, if we're honest? We rarely reflect. And not only that, we try, we don't like longing. We don't like waiting And so we do everything in our power to try to push longing out of our lives and push it away. And so here, the question is, how can we have a heart like Simeon? How can we live in expectation and longing? Well, the first thing we need to be, if we're going to have a heart like Simeon, we have to have a posture of dependence and trust on God's word and on his promises. And so we need to build our lives. That's what Simeon had done. He knew the scriptures and he knew they were true. And so we have to build our lives on the promises of God's word. And the other thing I think is that we will never wait expectantly and have a heart of longing for the second advent if we are constantly trying to seek comfort 
in this life and in this world and in created things. We, we uh, are constantly, aren't we, seeking comfort in things down here, work and education and achievement and success and pleasures, good things, but often we lean into those things for our comfort rather than the Creator, and we will start longing and living in expectation when we realize that Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy our soul. Look at verse 26 through 29. It's been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit, this is interesting, that he would not see death before he had seen Jesus or seen the Christ. And the, the Spirit comes to Simeon, and Mary and Joseph walk in, and the Spirit reveals that they're holding the Messiah. And then look at what he says. He takes Jesus in his arms, and look at what he says. I love the NIV here, the New International Version. version. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, as you've promised, I've seen Jesus. I've seen the Messiah. Now dismiss your servant in peace. I love that, because here's what Simeon is saying. The waiting is over. I'm holding the Messiah, and all my longings are fulfilled. I am at peace. I'm done. Take me out of this world. Dismiss me. And I've been read, I read this this week. Listen to this quote. Christmas is often a grab bag of getting. Throw out a bunch of things that you want and see what you get. Perhaps a more important question than what I want is what is worth wanting. You see, that's really the question of Advent, isn't it? What is worth wanting? You know this, we chase our wants and we're only left wanting, wanting more. And Simeon is holding Jesus and he says, I finally got something that is worth wanting. You see, when you meet Jesus, he will not leave you wanting. He will fulfill your deepest longings. And if you see here, I think there's an invitation as well, isn't there? Look at, and here's what I mean. Friends, until you have embraced Jesus, until you have possession of Jesus, then you are not ready to say, dismiss me, Lord. Let me say it another way. You're not ready to die unless you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's an invitation right from the get-go this morning. Will you take hold of Jesus, the consolation and comfort of Israel, of all people, and of your soul, will you take hold of the one who will fulfill your deepest longings? That's the first point. I've been talking a lot, so let me take a drink. Second, let's look at the song. Look at verses 30 through 32. Let's look at the core of the song. 
My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared for all people, a light for the Gentiles, for the glory of Israel. Don't miss this because this helps us to understand what is at the very heart of Christmas and what's at the very heart of Christianity. Simeon is telling us that salvation is bound up in a person. And I think that's very significant. It's not bound up in a moral code. It's not bound up in in moral instruction or a system or a 401k or salvation's not bound up in self-help books or careers or your health or we don't look to politics for salvation. No, Simeon is saying salvation is found in a baby in a manger on Christmas Day, the one whom Simeon is now holding in his arms. And so if Jesus is bringing salvation, what are we being saved from? Well, the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, 21, the angel says to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, God knew that we could never be good enough to save ourselves and to climb up to him. And so Christmas is about God taking on flesh and coming down to us. He came into the world to do what we could never do. And that's why Christmas, more than anything else, is about God's mercy to sinners. And then the question is, okay, so how is that possible? I mean, how can a holy God have anything to do with sinful people like us? How can we be in relationship with him? Well, think about it this way. To land a job, what do you have to do? You have to submit a resume. And people spend lots and lots and lots of hours on their resume, perfecting it, putting down all their accomplishments and achievement. Why? Because if you want to get the job, you need a good resume. Because if you're good enough and your resume is good enough, you get the job. It's the same with sports teams, isn't it? You're evaluated by your athletic resume and your athletic record. If you're skilled enough and athletic enough and strong enough and fast enough, you're accepted, you make the team. It's really all the world, isn't it? How do you get into college? Well, you have to submit your academic resume and your academic record. And if you're smart enough and your test scores are good enough, then you're accepted into college. Did you know it's the same way with God? Listen closely here. God evaluates the moral record that you offer him. And depending on how good it is, he determines whether or not he will accept you. His acceptance is based on which resume you submit to him and how good that resume is. And so here's the million-dollar question. Whose resume are you going to submit? Whose resume are you going to submit to God? Every other religion in the world says you submit your own resume to God. Every other religion says God accepts you based on how much you love him, how committed you are, and how devoted you are. And if you're devoted enough, 
then he'll say, you're good, come on in. Christianity is the complete opposite. It's based on grace. It says from the very beginning, you can never be good enough. And uh, you are made acceptable not by submitting your resume, but by submitting Jesus' resume. And what makes you acceptable to God is not your performance record, thank goodness, because ours is terrible. But what makes you acceptable to God is Jesus' performance record. And you know what his performance record is like? And his resume is like absolute perfection. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. And here's the gospel. When you place your faith in Jesus, he takes all of your sin, he forgives you of your sin, and he imputes to you, and he gives you his perfect resume. He gives you his perfect record of righteousness. Now do you see why Christmas is such good news and why everybody in these first chapters of Luke, why they are singing so loudly, deeply from the heart? And perhaps even better news is that this salvation and Jesus' resume is for everyone. And what he has done, it's for everyone. Think about Simeon. He's standing up in a Jewish temple, and he's saying salvation has come through Jesus to all people, even the Gentiles. Can you imagine the Jews that were hearing this song thinking, what did he just say? It's for all people. And isn't that what we see in Jesus' ministry? We see Jesus extending the gospel to men and women, to rich and poor, to racial insiders and outsiders, to moral failures and the upright, to good citizens and criminals on crosses and addicts and the sober and the Pharisee and the tax collector. I love one social media post says, Come all you faithless, joyless and defeated. Christmas is for the weary. Christmas is for the messed up and broken. And if your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. That's the good news of Christmas. Lastly, the sword gets a little tougher here. Because Simeon is singing, and then he stops his song, and he looks directly at Mary. Look at verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. How often you heard this verse around Christmas time? You never hear this. This is not included in any Christmas songs But I believe it tells us something very important about Christmas that all of us need to hear this morning. The focus of Christmas, and this is good, it's often on the sentimental side of Christmas and how Christ brings peace to the earth. And of course, that's 100% true, but Christmas also has a very sharp edge to it. And that is Jesus divides people. And Jesus brings conflict to your life oftentimes. 
Think about the Gospels. When people encountered Jesus in the Gospels, there was no middle ground. People either wanted to crucify Jesus or they wanted to crown Jesus, but no one hung out in the middle. People would rise up, think about the verse, and humbly submit themselves to Jesus and follow him, or people would fall down pridefully and refuse to admit their need for him. Jesus pushed people, this is what I mean by divide, pushed people to extremes. No one sort of just liked Jesus. And you've heard me use this quote by Lewis, but he says, Jesus is either of utmost importance or no importance, but one thing Jesus can't be, based on his claims to be God in the flesh, one thing Jesus can't be in your life is of some importance. And the other thing is Jesus brings conflict, doesn't he? I mean, we know this to be true. Think about how the culture uh, and how the world relates to people who claim to be Christians. Think about that. And Simeon makes it clear here that there is an offensiveness to Jesus And those who say they want to follow Jesus will be oftentimes found as offensive too. Jesus coming into our lives, yes, he makes us peacemakers, but it also brings persecution. I love Keller says, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. And here's the thing, Simeon actually keeps going, and it actually gets harder, because he looks at Mary, look at verse 35, and says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And the word sword here, we're not talking about a pocket knife, it is the word that means large blade. And so Mary, this is what Simeon is saying, something awful is going to happen to your son, and it is going to feel like a butcher knife in your own heart. And your heart, Mary, is going to be shattered over this child. Can you imagine if you're holding your baby a few days old, and, some, and so, this man says, people are going to hate your son. Some people are going to love him, but a lot of people are going to hate him. And then also, something horrific is going to happen to him. And and those words find their fulfillment, we know, as Jesus gets older and he goes to a cross. And so you've got this child, think about this, everyone's singing about, everyone's putting their hopes and dreams in, He's the consolation of the world because he's come to reconcile humanity to God. And then you get to the end of his life and he's arrested and he's beaten and spit upon and mocked and tortured and he dies a most gruesome death on the cross. And it's that moment when the blade and the sword pierces Mary's own soul. And Mary most certainly has many questions, and there's lots of things that she doesn't understand. Why is this my son's story? 
Why did Jesus have to die in, in this way? Why did my son have to die like this? I'll close here, but here's why. Listen closely. If you go back to the Old Testament, to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, humanity rebels against God, and the result is God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. And do you remember what was placed in front of the tree of life that kept people from getting to and preventing eternal life? It was a flaming sword that God placed there. In other words, because of sin, no one could access God unless they experienced the sword. And that's why in the Old Testament, you see when people wanted to reconnect with God and to get into God's presence, what did they have to do? They had to offer a sacrifice. They had to take an animal, and they had to take a sword to an animal, and they would have to offer it. The sword would fall on the animal. And then the people could worship and reconnect with God and come into his presence. Think about the cross. On the cross, friends, Jesus took the ultimate sword of God's judgment and wrath for our sin. It fell down on Jesus and not on us. He was the sacrifice. He is the substitute. He is the one who satisfied God's justice once and for all giving everyone who has faith in Jesus complete access, listen to this, to the throne of God, to the presence of God, anytime, place, anywhere. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? That's what we're celebrating here this morning, and it's when we see God taking the ultimate sword for us that we'll be able to stand up in the midst of a world that doesn't like Jesus. We'll have courage to follow him in this world. You see, Jesus is the one who brings the comfort and consolation to all God's people. And he does it through suffering. He gets the suffering and we get life. It is the purpose and meaning and it's what we are celebrating at Christmas It's why everyone in these opening chapters in the Gospel of Luke, it's why everyone is singing deeply from the heart. And I hope it makes you sing this Christmas as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making a way through Christ, for giving us peace with you, I pray and ask that you would forgive us for our lack of waiting and longing and expecting your second advent. Holy Spirit, if there are people here this morning that have not embraced you, I pray that you would give them faith, convince them, convict them that they are not ready to say, dismiss me until they have you, till they have eternal life and are in possession of the Lord Jesus. Would you move in us this morning, show us and remind us once again in a deeper and richer way that Jesus is better than we think, that he is more beautiful and worthy than we could possibly imagine. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.